Let us have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are with us today. We have sung your praises. We have sung a request that we want to be like you. We want to follow after you. And we ask that you will guide and direct us this morning as we talk about this important subject that is at hand before us. And so we thank you for your leading and your guiding. And go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Un regalo por ti. Un regalo para ti. Un regalo para ti. His name was Osmar. Young boy, about eight, ten years old, probably. A resident of the, the area of Santo Tomas, a little Peruvian village near Iquitos, Peru. He was holding a little bracelet out to me, and he was saying, Un regalo para ti. I know a little Spanish. Didn't know a lot of Spanish. And I didn't know exactly what he was saying to me. But as he handed me this bracelet and I took it from him, I recognized Osmar was giving me a gift. Osmar was one of the young children that was hanging around our worksite every day as we were building the church there in Santo Tomas. As groups of kids would come around us and we would hold the vacation Bible school, we began, began making friends. And it was so fun to see the sparkle in their eyes as we'd sing Jesus songs and tell them stories and give them crafts. But the thing that impacted me the most, I think, was not the blessing that I gave him, was, but was the blessing that he gave me through that little gift, the little bracelet that reminded me of my time there in Santo Tomas. Whatever the occasion, gifts are nice to receive, aren't they? Be it Christmas, be it birthdays, be it anniversaries, a special anniversary. Whatever the case may be, gifts are fun to receive. There's something that reminds you of your value and your worth. Think of the last time that you received a gift. Was it from a friend? Was it from an enemy? Was it from a family member? God has given us many, many gifts, hasn't he? Second Peter 1, verse 3. We viewed this a few weeks ago, but it reminds us that his divine power, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. God has given us everything that we need. And as we've been looking at this fortified series, let's just just take a quick review through memory lane. I know sometimes with all of our different activities and different events that we have, we don't get to have a seven-part series all in a row, so I think we started this back in February, which was a little while ago. And I know we've gone over some home leave, so maybe the students haven't quite got all of what we've talked about. But let me, let's just go through and do a brief little review of what we've talked about. The first time we talked about being for 
justified, being established in our walk with God, because we know that the end of the world is coming soon. We don't know when, but it's going to happen. So we want to be established. We want to be strong in God. First thing we talked about, it was on a home leave. We talked about meat-eating Adventists. Now the Bible instructs us and invites us to get into the meat of the Word of God. I'm not talking anti-vegetarianism. We're talking the meat of the Word of God. The King James calls the Word of God the meat. And so as we are given the gift of the Word of God, we can get into His Word and we can learn of that. Secondly, we talked about how to have a patient grace, how God gives us the ability to produce holiness and how we are to be patient as he's working on our lives. So the, the blessing that God has given us to be holy. We talked in the part three, we talked about the long haul and how we're patiently waiting for Jesus to return. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love it if Jesus came tomorrow. But being patient in the waiting, waiting for that time when he comes and God gives us that gift of patience as a spiritual gift. Part four was the vitamins and minerals of faith. We were talking about being fortified. You can find all these on our website, of course. They're all online there. Being fortified in God, in Christ, is adding to our faith. We looked at Peter. We looked at the, the, the gifts that Peter described to us, how God has given us everything. And it was called Peter's Ladder. One, one spiritual gift on top of another, on top of another. Uh, it was Easter weekend when we talked about saying goodbye to the old man of sin. God gives us the gift of choice, the ability to choose. And last week at home leave, we talked about diligence. And God giving us the gift of stamina, giving us the gift of responsibility, the ability to be diligent. And so today, we're wrapping up our fortified series, and we're talking about the anti-Esau. The anti-Esau. Now, if you recall the story of Jacob and Esau, the twins, Esau was given a gift. Being the firstborn son, what is the gift he receives? He gets the birthright, right? He gets the gift of inheritance, two times the amount of inheritance. Take your Bibles. Let's look at Genesis chapter 25, where we can find the story of the gift that Esau gives away. Genesis chapter 25, all for a pot of stew, right? All for a pot of stew. If, you, if, we've, been, if you've read through the, the story of Jacob and Esau, as we've done before, we remember that Jacob was more of the chef kind of a guy. He liked to stay home. He liked to cook. He liked to do kind of the home things. Esau, he was the rough and tough, out in the wilderness, fight for the game, hunt for the, hunt for the animals. Well, on this particular day, Esau didn't catch anything. And he was coming back to his father's tents. And he saw his brother Jacob there cooking a pot of stew. Now, I don't know what was in the stew. 
probably smelled pretty good, especially for Esau, who had been hungry the entire day or few days that he was gone. And Esau said to Jacob, give me some food, please. I'm weary. Verse 31, but Jacob said to me, Jacob said to him. Now, Jacob thought about this probably before he said this. He probably said, hmm, I wonder what I can get for my pot of stew. So in verse 31, he said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau says, sure, you know what, look at me, I'm about to die. What is the birthright good for me anymore? Is it good for me anymore? If if I die, what's the birthright worth? Have it, it's yours. So Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and he drank, arose, and he went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. So Esau's coming back from the field, from the, from the wilderness. He's hungry. He's not thinking rationally. He's thinking quite foolishly instead, isn't he? <laughs> and he puts little importance on that special God-given gift. Birthright? Go ahead. It's yours. Esau was thinking only of himself. Wasn't he? I'm hungry. I need food. So I'm going to get it however I need to get it. If I got to sell my birthright, the gift that has been given to me as a firstborn, sure. He was only looking out for number one. He was living only for himself. And when we, and when we realize what the root of sin is all about, it's looking out for number one as the root of sin. Now, each of us, we've been given a gift, haven't we? Sometimes multiple gifts. God has given us blessings and talents and personality. I mean, if you look at, the, if you look at this slide with the, all the different descriptions of different gifts, this is, doesn't even cover them all. But you look up here on the characteristics, and I'm sure that you can find at least one up there that describes a gift that God has given you. Helpful, clever, encouraging, energetic, reliable, loyal, compassionate. Think of all the ways that God has blessed you. And all of these wonderful talents, wonderful things that he has given you. Art, music, friendship. What are you doing with those gifts? Are they important to you? Are they something that you're happy about God has given you those blessings? Are you using those gifts to, to encourage other people? Are you using those gifts to further the kingdom of God? Are you willing to give them away for a pot of stew? Do we not use those gifts because we're fearful of what others might think or say because it doesn't look like anyone else. 
But these are the amazing gifts that God has given us. And, and the one gift that's not up there, but it encompasses all of them, and that is the gift of life, eternal life. God has given that to us. It is a, it is a free gift. And the warning that I'm concerned that we sometimes overlook is the warning to not be like Esau, to be the anti-Esau. Paul warns us, the Apostle Paul warns us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, we'll come back to this, but he warns us to say that lest there be any fornicator or profane person like, who? Like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So we're encouraged to be the anti-Esau. Well, what about Jacob? Should we be like Jacob? I mean, he's the other brother, right? Jacob's the other brother, so let's be like him. I don't know if I'd be so quick at jumping to that conclusion either. Because Jacob was the liar, the swindler. Did Jacob have a right to say to Esau, sell me your birthright? The supplanter was his name, right? So if we're not like either of the brothers, we should be like someone else. How many of you have ever listened to car talk on national public radio? Have you ever listened to car talk on national public radio with click and clack the Tappet brothers? Those of you who know what I'm talking about understand it. But there are these two mechanics, Italian mechanics. They're brothers, Ray and Tom I don't even know how to pronounce their last name, Mazagori or something like that. Maliot, thank you. Sergio would kill me. Pastor Sergio would shoot me down. But they, they bicker and they banter on the, on the talk show. They talk about cars, what is it, cars, car repair, and anything else. The latest puzzler on the third half of the show or whatever, you know, you know how that goes. But at the end of the show... It's a lot of fun to listen to the show because they, they have a way of prodding the truth out of people. Not just pulling it out, but prodding it out. At the end of the show, they say, well, there you go again. You've now squandered away the last hour listening to car talk. Just remember, don't drive like my brother. And what does the other one say? Don't drive like my brother. So the brothers are bickering back and forth. So if we're not to be like Esau, we're not to be like Jacob... Don't be like those brothers. Maybe we should think of a different brother to be like. Take a different route, right? How many of you remember Timon from The Lion King? Timon was this, is that energetic, excited, loud mouth, rude at times maybe. What kind of an animal is he? He's a meerkat, isn't he? He's a meerkat. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase, right? Timona is part of the meerkat family, and there's an interesting thing that meerkats do. It's actually a very splendid thing that they do. They live in a community of other meerkats. And the way that they feed, because Africa is a dangerous place out on the Sahara, Africa, the savannah, wherever they are, savannah, they're not in the desert entirely, but they're in a dangerous location where there's wild dogs, other, other um, 
flying vultures or flying raptors that are predators. One member of the family will stand up tall and he'll be the lookout. While the rest put their heads down and they feed and they find food and everything. And if the, other, if the one sees danger, he'll squeak, he'll cry, he'll call out. And the others will run into their burrows and they'll hide and they'll get away. They protect one another. They look out for each other. They, they, put, they place a lot of trust on their one lookout. Because if the lookout gets distracted, doesn't notice the danger, that's a matter of life and death. Are we any different than those of the animal kingdom? Mark Beckoff wrote a book called Animals Matter. A biologist explains why we should treat animals with compassion and respect. And this is what he says. He says, human beings are a part of the animal kingdom, not apart from it. The separation of us and them creates a false picture and is, ir- and is responsible for much suffering. So that's either us and them as far as animals and humans, or it could end up being us and them as far as my group and that group. It's a part of the in-group, out-group mentality that leads to human oppression of the weak by the strong as in ethnic, religious, political, and social conflicts. Are we any different than the animal kingdom? Has God designed us? We're different in some aspects. But has God designed us to not only survive in community, but also to thrive in community? Because we need one another. An old African proverb says this, If you want to go fast, go alone. Makes sense. You want to run fast, go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Has God designed us to need one another. Rather than just looking out for number one, who else do we need to look out for? Let's look a little deeper at Hebrews chapter 12. I want to get more of the context of Hebrews chapter 12, so if you'll take your Bibles and look there, we already briefly talked about the warning that Paul gives to be the anti-Esau. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that that there's more to it than just being not like Esau. And I'd like to pick up in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12. Paul says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which none will see the Lord. It's true to be holy, to see the Lord, yes. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. 
So Paul is reminding us to pursue peace, to strive for that peace, to strive for harmony. He's also telling us that we are to take care of others, looking out for others, making sure that our brothers and our sisters and our friends do not stumble and do not fall. Because if you've got a friend who is doing something that is going to harm them physically, I hope and I pray that you speak up. That you get that friend some help because you know that what they're doing is going to harm them physically, mentally. What about spiritually? Paul says, see to it. You know, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Make sure that, that your friends, make sure that your community of, of, of your circle of influence, make sure that they're doing good things, making good choices. And then he goes on and he says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. In verse 17, For you know that afterward when he, when Esau, wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Esau realized his folly after selling his birthright when he desired the blessing from his father Isaac. But he didn't get it. He didn't get the blessing. Even though he repented with tears, he said, Oh, Father, bless me still. But what did Isaac say? You're going to serve your younger brother because of your foolish, rash, not important in your eyes decision. Because Esau, you were thinking only of yourself. So if we're not to follow any of the brothers, Jacob or Esau, Paul encourages us to follow the example of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God, he says, as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Walk in love. Be like Jesus. Be an imitator of Jesus. Follow after Jesus and his example. Live like that older brother, Jesus. Who is the best example that we are to live. And all throughout Scripture, we see that we are to, we are to live for others. There's a call and a challenge to live for others. Second Thessalonians 3.13, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged, Jesus told us. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. God said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. John fifteen thirteen. greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's all through Scripture. That's just five verses, six verses that I gave you, but it's all through Scripture, this challenge to live for others, to put aside our petty differences, to put aside those things that they're different than us. But they're human beings, and they need our support and our love to think of others. 
And I want to challenge you guys to think of this. This is a hard thing to do, though. It is hard to live for others. It's easy to live only for yourself. It's easy to only look out for number one. I know, I know for myself personally, sometimes I get stuck in a rut. I get stuck in a place where I'm doing my daily in and out, in and out. For right now, it's go to class, teach class, teach you guys about Jesus and creation. Right? Those who are listening. Go to work, visit, do what I need to do, uh, get board meetings prepared, get a sermon prepared. And it's easy to get stuck in this rut and just get it done so then I can do what I want to do. I'm talking about myself personally. That's what's happening to me, and I want to make a change. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for others. I want to live to bless others. I want to live in the passions that God has given me to experience life with all of you guys, with my families. I, I get stuck in a rut with my family, too. It's easy as young kids to just, after spending time at work and dealing with people at work and you know, loving people at work, and then getting home and having to deal with my kids. Brush your teeth, get in the bath, eat your food, go to bed, so then I can have a little peace and quiet for myself. It's easy to forget the purpose that God has given us, the gifts that God has given us to share with other people. Now, maybe we're, maybe we're afraid to not use those gifts because we're afraid that what we might say, what we might do, what we might act is wrong. And so we get stuck in our own little cocoon, in our own little world, and we don't reach out. And we're living only for ourselves. And it's easy to live for ourselves because I'm not responsible for anyone else if I live just for myself. Just take care of number one. But friends, that's not what the Bible encourages us to do. It's not biblical. God wants us to live for other people. He invites us to help others, to look up and look around rather than down at ourselves. I want to show a video as we close. It's actually a five-minute video. It's called Look Up. It's a spoken poem video that has some really important points in it. The guy is an English gentleman. He does, he's, I, wanna, I do want to warn you, he just says one word that we don't typically use in our, in our vernacular here. It's not a swear word. It's the word for an illegitimate child. I want you to go past, think past that word. That's not the point. Don't get focused on that. Focus on the message that he's sharing about how we need to get out of our own little world and realize that there's others out there. In England and in, in, in England and Australia, they use words that we normally wouldn't use. We would think they're swear words. That's just what it, I had to mention that to you this morning because I don't want you to think Pastor John is encouraging this. No, I'm not. Get past that. Think about the message that the video is actually trying to convey. Okay. I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. 
The problem I have sits in the spaces between looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realised that this media we call social is anything but when we open our computers and it's our doors we shut. All this technology we have, it's just an illusion. Community companionship, a sense of inclusion, yet when you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion. A world where we're slaves to the technology we mastered, where information gets sold by some rich, greedy bastard. A world of self-interest, self-image, self-promotion, where we all share our best bits, but leave out the emotion. We're at our most happy with an experience we share. But is it the same if no one is there? Be there for your friends, and they'll be there too. But no one will be if a group message will do. We edit and exaggerate, crave adulation. We pretend not to notice the social isolation. We put our words into order until our lives are glistening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. Being alone isn't a problem. Let me just emphasise, if you read a book, paint a picture, or do some exercise, you're being productive and present, not reserved and recluse. You're being awake and attentive and putting your time to good use. So when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list. Just talk to one another. Learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train where no one wants to talk through the fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial. It no longer satisfies to engage with one another and look into someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. Be out with my friends on our bikes, we would roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees. We'd build our own clubhouse high up in the trees. Now the park's so quiet, it gives me a chill. See no children outside and the swings hanging still. There's no skipping, no hopscotch, no church and no steeple. We're a generation of idiots, smartphones and dumb people. So look up from your phone, shut down the display. Take in your surroundings, make the most of today. Just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make. Be there in the moment that she gives you the look that you remember forever as when love overtook. The time she first holds your hand or first kiss your lips. The time you first disagree but still love her to bits. The time you don't have to tell hundreds of what you've just done because you want to share this moment with just this one. The time you sell your computer so you can buy a ring for the girl of your dreams who is now the real thing. The time you want to start a family and the moment when you first hold your little girl and get to fall in love again. The time she keeps you up at night and all you want is rest and the time you wipe away the tears as your baby flees the nest. The time your baby girl returns for a boy for you to hold and the time he calls you granddad and makes you feel real old. The time you take in all you've made just by giving life attention and how you're glad you didn't waste it by looking down at some invention. The time you hold your wife's hand, sit down beside her bed. You tell her that you love her, lay a kiss upon her head. She then whispers to you quietly as her heart gives a final beat that she's lucky she got stopped by that lost boy in the street. But none of these times ever happened. You never had any of this. When you're too busy looking down, you don't see the chances you miss.
So look up from your phone, shut down those displays. We have a finite existence, a set number of days. Don't waste your life getting caught in the net as when the end comes, nothing's worse than regret. I am guilty too of being part of this machine, this digital world we are heard but not seen, where we type as we talk and we read as we chat, where we spend hours together without making eye contact. So don't give in to a life where you follow the hype, give people your love, don't give them your like. Disconnect from the need to be heard and defined, go out into the world, leave distractions behind. Look up from your phone. Shut down that display. Stop watching this video. Live life the real way. So what does a life lived for others look like? For each person, it's going to look different. God's given us different gifts. might be a positive touch. It might be an encouraging word. It might be refraining from saying something hurtful. Stopping the gossip. Telling someone else, say, eh, don't tell me. Tell the person you're talking about. Speaking the truth in love. Giving people your love, not just your like. Right? It's living for others. So I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge all of us in here that as we are living fortified lives for God, that we are living for others. All of the other things that we've talked about, the blessings that He's given us, the, the Word of God, the patience, the choices They're all living for others because holiness is not just living for ourselves as some improved personal life. It really is living for others. So I challenge you. Don't be like Esau. Don't focus on yourself. But live for others. Let's pray. Lord God, as we have looked at a very important subject this morning, it resonates with your experience. When you sent your son Jesus to live in this world, he did not live for himself, but he lived for others. And as we go from this place this morning, as some of us go from this campus in a month or less than a month, May we keep this in our hearts, that we are to look up from our own little cocoon, our own little world that we're in, and that we experience life with other people, and that we live for them and encourage them. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given, that we can bless others. In Jesus' name.